Welcome to Bills by the Numbers, where we let the stats tell you where the Bills are at. We're presented by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Coming up, while you may have been mad about the pass interference calls the Bills didn't get last week, what teams might benefit from pass interference calls the most? Steve and I investigate with the 538.com. Steve is quizzed on the best teams in the league in opponent passer rating. And in these three things, we check in on Buffalo's third down conversion rate, passes broken up, and the suddenly absent pass rush. Can you dig it? Glad you can make it in for Bills by the Numbers. Bills Wall of Famer Steve Tasker, Bills Insider Chris Brown with you as always. And in the wake of the non-pass interference calls on the Bucks, when Carlton Davis clearly impeded Stephon Diggs in his effort to catch two different passes from Josh Allen in the Bills-Bucks game, I was reminded of a piece, Steve, that I read from our good friend Josh Hermsmeyer, who just appeared in our last episode from the 538.com, he put together a listing of the teams that benefited the most from pass interference calls in terms of expected points added. So according to Hermsmeyer's write-up, and this was through week 13, so we're a little dated, there had been 221 defensive pass interference calls in 2021 to that point. No other penalty is more punitive, as you know, as DPI is only limited by how far the offense is from the opponent's end zone in terms of yardage right. that can be awarded. So, Steve... Thoughts on the kind of team that you think might lead the league in getting pass interference calls? It would seem to me, looking at it like that, I would say probably the teams with the big wide receivers, the guys that can go up and get it, guys that you know, you're know you more confident and given a chance to, where quarterbacks would throw it in there thinking, okay, I'm, it must, might be a 50-50 ball, mm-hmm. but my guy's better. Teams like that, teams like like Julio Jones's, teams like Tennessee, who's got the big, you know, AJ Brown, those kind of guys. Example with Mike Evans. And Mike Evans, good is a good example. So all those, I think those are the teams that would be the ones that you've got more opportunity or more willingness to say, you know what, I don't care, I don't care if he's covered, I'm throwing this in there. Yeah, right. So that's what I would think about the whole thing. It, you got and plus, and this really shortens the list. A quarterback like that. Yeah. You know, a quarter, I think it's an established quarterback. Somebody's going to say, you know, I'm not going to get benched for throwing this because I'm giving my guy a chance. Yeah. Or some guy who's been through it enough said, listen, this always works kind of thing. Like a Tom Brady and a Mike Evans. Okay. So it's interesting that you thought that way because I thought a little bit differently. I thought to myself, this is tailor made for the quarterback who does not have the rocket arm. And the yeah. reason I thought this way is because the Mike Evans play was fresh in my memory. And it was an underthrown ball. He comes back to the ball, tries to go through the defender to get it, and gets the benefit of a pass interference call as a result. So I'm thinking of quarterbacks like Jared Goff, uh, even Mac Jones, who don't have these rocket arms, might underthrow passes deep down the field, and then the receiver makes the effort to convince the official, well, well I can't make a play. The, the defensive back's in my way. Well, the ball's underthrown. And so I was thinking they might be the beneficiaries of those kinds of plays. And to be real, we're, we're just kind of guessing because it's well, the we guy, are guessing. It's the, as we saw, it's a guy with the stripes that actually calls this. Yeah. And they're all different. And that's the most frustrating part about it because this guy doesn't see this as pass interference. This guy's like, well, yeah. ooh, that was way past pass interference. So 
we're kind of throwing a dart into the yes, pool of arbitrary 100%. decision-making by the officials. So through Week 13, the NFL team that benefited most from defensive pass interference calls, according to the 538.com, in terms of expected points added, is the Las Vegas Raiders. They were the beneficiaries of 10 DPI calls, and with an average depth of target of just over 25 yards, their expected points added on those 10 DPIs, 20.4 points. So pass interference calls have essentially given the Raiders almost three extra touchdowns this season. In a league where an almost record number of games have come down to the final minute of the game this season, see the Vikings, uh, that is a big number. Yeah. That's a big number. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's true. Three, it's more than three touchdowns. It's 18 points. And, and Well, right. I was counting. The tw- points, and but. it kind of – Al Davis is no longer with us, but his philosophy as owner of that team was, listen, you got to throw that ball deep at least – once a quarter and the 25 yard plus target on those DPIs says a lot about it, their willingness to go deep. And I get, yeah. I didn't really think about the depth of targets when I was thinking yep. about who would be benefit from it and statistic or stereotypically from the history we know about the Raiders that fits Yeah, throwing at 25 plus yards down the field and getting penalized. I get it. And you know, you look at the one that the bills got non-called on against Tampa Bay with Tom Brady, this is a deliberate underthrow. So just that alone tells you what it mm-hmm. takes to get it. You almost have to give up on the play and drop it in the in the lap of the ref and, and you know, say, what are you going to do? Yeah. You want to make a call here? Yeah. Or no, maybe. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. I, I don't know if I would have picked the Raiders first. I see your logic in getting there. I don't know. I, maybe the other teams don't throw it as much because Las Vegas throws it a lot. They don't really, even though they have Josh Jacobs, he's been beat up this year. They don't really depend on the running game. They've relied on Carr's arm a lot more this year than they have in previous years. But other teams at the top of the list include the Steelers, which falls into my category of who I thought would be here, a quarterback whose arm strength isn't there, a lot of underthrown balls. The Colts, Carson Wentz throws his fair share of poor passes. And the Jets, Okay. I mean, well, you've had a, a you've had a cornucopia of right. quarterbacks there. There's yeah. no real way to pin it down on any one quarterback you in New with York. A, you started with a quarterback with a live arm, but a little inexperience, and then you started going down the ladder from there. Yeah. So I looked at those three quarterback. I looked at those three teams, and I said, okay, what do these teams have in common to be sitting there at the top of the list? You'd be surprised to know this, Steve, but they have quarterbacks with some of the lowest completion percentages in the league completion this season. 65 for Roethlisberger, 63 for Wentz, 60 as a team for the Jets, which doesn't sound low, but in this league, it's low. Um, And I realize, again, the Jets are a mixed bag at quarterback, but why is that notable? Because it appears that there are a fair number of teams that benefit from having inaccurate quarterbacks in terms of defensive pass interference. As we witnessed in last Sunday's game between the Bills and the Bucks, an underthrown ball by Tom Brady to Mike Evans, forces Evans to come back to the ball, chooses to go through Levi Wallace, whose momentum carries him into Evans. He reverses course. He tries to make a play on the ball, cleverly wraps his arm around Wallace. We know the whole story. Pulled him to the ground and then acted like Levi was the offender. The refs bought it. The refs buy it. Carson Wentz has not been accurate at quarterback this season, but that inaccuracy has helped his receivers draw pass interference calls. He has a big wideout, as you surmised, Steve, and theorized. You know, in uh, Michael Pittman Jr. So, (laughs) 
Same for the Giants' Daniel Jones. Down near the bottom of the league in completion percentage among starting quarterbacks, Jones is 31st, but his team leads the NFL in drawing DPI calls with 13. What do you make of seeing less accurate quarterbacks being able to generate more of those kinds of calls? It speaks to the level of play they're getting in the secondary. These, they don't expect inaccurate balls. They're guarding against the throw that they know that will beat them. Yeah. And when you can't make that throw and the receiver adjusts to it, you're caught. You know, you can't half cover you're the powerless. guy expecting it. Yeah, you're you're really in a bad spot. It's a bad situation for a DB to go back there and and even on the play, um, and we keep going back to it, but because it's fresh in everybody's mind, the Levi Wallace play. If Levi rolls and just takes a peep over his shoulder, that's an interception going the other way. I, like a a quarter of a second sooner. Yeah. Sooner. He catches that ball. He adjusts to it and catches it. Because there's no way Mike Evans is catching that ball through the, through the body of Levi Wallace. And if Levi Wallace turns his shoulders and looks, it's a, it's a pick. Now, here's the thing. In the NFL, nobody co- coaches their defensive backs to turn and look for a ball like that on a play of that nature because it's so fast. Maybe on a long ball, you got time and you know he's not going to come back and the guy's got to air it out. You can look back and adjust to it. You start doing that. But they they defend the good throw. Yeah. Get in position first. And that then means, if you can look, that means look. you've got to keep your eye, you got to keep your eyes on the receiver of where his body tells you the ball should be coming, and you stay in that area. You don't turn around and on a throw that's going to be behind both of you. Because that you all you're looking for is the income the incompletion for sure, for starters. Then you're looking for any other play you can make. So you got to stay between where the receiver expects the ball and the quarterback. And that's where they try and get, and you can only do that by watching the guy the quarterback's actually trying to get the ball to. So that's why you see these DBs not looking for the ball like Levi Wallace, particularly on a quick route like that. And the problem with that is, almost inevitably, when a DB does not get his head around in an effort to make a play on the ball and is just blanketing the receiver, more often than not, the referee will throw the flag because they're saying, well, you're not trying to make a play on the ball. You're just trying to muscle up the receiver. And it's just like, well, I'm just trying to cover him. Like just because I'm not looking at the ball doesn't mean I'm not trying to break up a pass. So you just call DPI on me anyway. And I'm reminded sitting in that post-game interview room, Dane Jackson, Levi Wallace, both got called for defensive infractions in the game. Dane Jackson on Gronk and Levi on Mike Evans in overtime. And They were asked, like, what do you do? And Dane Jackson's like, I wouldn't change anything I did on that play because I could not play it any better than I did. I just got called for the flag. I don't know what else you want me to do. And Levi said his call was a bad call. I got wrestled to the ground by the receiver, and they throw DPI on me. And that was was, uh, corroborated by Terry McCauley, who is the former NFL official at White Hat on the field, who is now in the booth with the – uh, CBS, CBS guys, yeah. he's the he's the in the booth guys. I was Gene Steratore and also Terry McCauley, and there's mm-hmm. other guys around. He said, "Listen, I I call that offensive because you can see that it wasn't Levi Wallace that initiated the contact; it was Mike Evans coming back into him and then grabbing him. Um, so, yeah. Now, here's the interesting thing as it pertains to the Bills. We talk about inaccurate quarterbacks." 
not having strong arms. That's not the case for Josh Allen and the Bills. As you've often said, Steve, Allen is the kind of quarterback who puts the ball on a player. He doesn't throw them open. He puts it on them because he's got the arm strength to do that. So you'd think if the coverage is tight, it still might lead to DPI calls for the Bills. Not so much. Buffalo received five defensive pass interference calls through their first 12 games, tied for fourth fewest in the league. The only teams with fewer than those uh, DPI calls were the Jaguars, the Rams, the Panthers, the Saints, and then you'll be surprised to hear this one. The Chiefs with the fewest DPI calls on the year, just one on the season through week 13. The expected points added from the DPI calls for the Bills, about a touchdown and a two-point conversion, 7.8 points. That ranks 24th in the league. Some might be asking, what if we add those two pass interference calls from the Bucks game right. that they didn't get against Tampa? How much more expected points might they have gotten on average? And this is over the course of the season, because I know some people will say, well, you get a touchdown because you get the digs call, you're in the end zone. But over the course of the season, how many more expected points would they have gotten? It's a little more than a point added onto the entire season total from where they're at now. In the actual game, however, though, as I said, you can argue they would have had another touchdown on the board knowing the one digs play was in the end zone. You're first and goal at the one-yard line. you got to believe they're getting it in from there, right? Right. I mean, yeah. And then you may not even be going to overtime. Right. It doesn't, yeah. I don't care about points expected, but that was a win expected. Yeah. That's the big thing. That was an expected win with that point. And that's. Oh, yeah. I think what, the win the probability crusher. goes through the roof if you get the first and goal at the one. The, that's, that's the crusher. They would have had probably 25 to 28, just under 30 seconds of game time left. Clock stopped. First and goal on the one. Yeah. It's probably over in regulation. Yes. Probably. Yes. Yeah. And it goes the other way. The game goes the other way. That's the, the important thing. Yeah. So, Which ultimately would have made a lot of Bills fans happier. All right, good discussion there. And if you need more on it, you can go to the538.com. They do some really good work over there. As we mentioned, we had the author of that story, Josh Hermsmeyer, on with us in our last episode talking about a completely different topic, but interesting nonetheless as well. Daily fantasy players right now. New customers at FanDuel can get a 20% bonus, deposit bonus, up to $500 on your first deposit. Just sign up today at FanDuel.com slash Bills. That's FanDuel.com slash Bills. FanDuel, the official partner of the Buffalo Bills. Time for our favorite part of the program, the numbers game, where Steve will be quizzed on the best pass defenses in the league right now in terms of passer rating allowed. The Bills play the Panthers in Week 15, and they are 1-2 and two in pass defense. But we are looking for Steve to nail down seven of the top ten pass defenses in the league in terms of opponent passer rating. Lowest quarterback ratings against their defense. I need you to give me seven of the top ten, Steve. Can you do it? No way. Okay. For, um, I'll go Buffalo. Buffalo is number one in the league, 67.7 opponent passer rating. One for one. I will say Baltimore. Baltimore is not on this list. A lot of injuries in the secondary. They've had some problems. Let's go L.A. The L.A. Rams are fifth, Steve. Very good. 
Um, Eighty-four point eight passer rating. I'm thinking about uh, def- how about uh, the Colts? The Colts are not there in the top ten. Oh, you know who else is? Uh, Patriots. The Patriots are number two. Right. Seventy point nine passer rating against. I'll say Chicago. Chicago is not here. They are way down the list. I was thinking, who's got a good secondary? Kansas City. Kansas City, no. They're They're 14th. So you got to also have a team with a good secondary and not a good offense. Well, not necessarily. Because teams will throw the football anyway to keep up. You know what I'm saying? I hear you. That's my uh, Dallas. Dallas is number three, 78.2. Got four out of the top. Four out of the seven that I want for the top ten here. And I got the You're top. more than halfway there. I'm going to say, let me, look at, let me look at, do I have standings here so I can get a list of the teams? <laughs> Somebody I'm forgetting. I'm going to try to remember. Arizona. Arizona is not on. Really? Oh, no, they're 10th. Sorry, sorry, they're 10th. Okay. That is correct. That's, that's My five. bad on that one. 87.1 passer rating against. Did I say Indianapolis? You did, and that was incorrect. Cleveland. Cleveland not in the top 10. They are 19th. Tennessee. No. Ninth. Ninth. Okay. All right. So I got to get one more. 86.5 passer rating. You got six out of the top 10. We need one more. I'm going to say the San Francisco 49ers. And that would be incorrect. 25th. Green Bay. Green Bay, number eight. All right. Good job. 86.1. That's seven out of the top ten of opponent, lowest opponent passer rating. The remaining three teams in the top ten, Denver, which was fourth, New Orleans at sixth, and Miami at seventh. 85.8 passer rating against. But Buffalo leads the league. 67.7. Worst team in the league? Jacksonville. You're close. They were 30th. And Houston. you guessed Chicago, which was 31st. Houston. It's the Jets. 108.2 pass. The J-E-T-S <laughs> Jets, Jets, Jets. Yeah. Yeah. Houston wow. is uh, is actually a respectable 15th in the league. Oh, passer rating against. So good for them. <laughs> we move along now to these three things and dovetailing off the numbers game. We take a look first at Buffalo's number of pass breakups so far this season, they're currently 10th in the league in pass breakups with 60 in 13 games played. So number two in the league in pass defense, 10th in pass breakups. I still think this is impressive number, Steve, ranking 10th. The reason why is they faced the fourth fewest pass attempts in the league, and yet they're still top 10 in breaking up passes. Only one other team in the top 10 in passes defensed, is also in the bottom third of the league in passes attempted against them. That would be New England, which is second in the league in pass breakups. Still, great production from Buffalo's defense here. What do you make of the fact that even though they haven't faced a lot of pass attempts in comparison to a bunch of other teams defensively, they're still up there in the top 10 in pass breakups? Well, you got to tip your hat to the quality of guys they got back there. And the fact, aside from Tredavious White now, they were very healthy up through the point where Tredavious got hurt. Mm-hmm. They had all of their guys playing all the time. You look at teams like Baltimore, who's been riddled with injury, and other teams around the country, or, uh, who around the league, who have been gotten guys hurt. The Bills stayed relatively healthy in the back end. So 
And another thing is obvious, the, the elephant in the room is the fact that they got teams that are running on them now. They don't, they don't get thrown on. Uh, their run defense has been vulnerable, mm-hmm. so they don't face those pass attempts. And some of it has to do all, also the Bills have had a schedule that has not been a gauntlet. They haven't, they haven't played the AFC right. West. They haven't played the uh, AFC North, although with Pittsburgh they did. Um, you know, they're, they're playing AFC South and the East with the Jets and the Dolphins in there when the Dolphins were struggling. So yeah. their schedule has also probably contributed to that. I think another factor, too, is of late anyway, they haven't gotten up on the scoreboard early. Yeah. On teams, and so that has not forced their opponents to throw more, to stay in the game or climb back into the game. They've gotten off to slow starts offensively. It's allowed opponents to stick with whatever their offensive game plan was. And as you pointed out, running is part of it. I will also say that Dane Jackson's first real test against Tampa Bay was a pretty darn good performance. I I thought he held his own in the game. He wasn't a standout like, oh my God, look at Dane Jackson, but he didn't get undressed. They should have won the game. They should have won the game. I would agree with that. I mean, that's the frustrating part about it. You got a guy out there, you got guys out there doing what they were doing, and they get, you know, was stolen from them. Victimized, so, yeah. Um, yeah, that's – so Dane Jackson, I, I think it's – going forward, it's probably good for Dane Jackson to have gone through that because he won't he won't have any reason to, like, hey, I got this, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's that's the frustrating part about it for the Bills. Second part of these three things, third down conversion rate. Buffalo led the league in third down conversion rate last season at 49.7%. This year, they ranked third in the league with a success rate of 45.8%, but almost a 5% dip from where they were last year. And in their last two games, Steve, they've gone a combined six for 26, which is 23% conversion rate. The problem seems to be rooted in failing in third and long situations. Here are the last 26 yards to go on third down for the Bills that failed. Okay, you ready? Third and seven, 17, 19, 7, 15, 14, 17, 8, 3, 17, 15, 3, 10, 5, 6, 2, and 4. The ones that were successful the last two games, third and two, third and two, third and four, third and one, third and two, third and one. Knowing that, is there an issue brewing here or is this simply being a function of not getting out of third and long? Yeah, it's the issue is first and second down. Yeah. Um, they yeah. don't have any confidence that they can hand it off and get there. And when you come out and like last year, we saw them, they threw the football extremely successfully on first down a lot. Threw it more than anybody on so first down. So they have gotten away from that a little bit for some reason. Um, or at least gotten away from the success of that for some mm-hmm. reason. Even when they throw it, they're not as good as they were a year ago at throwing it, and maybe that has led to them trying other things on first down. But that's, there's no question. First and second down have been a crusher for them this year. Not yeah. crusher, but Not the, to the, the point reason. where it's glaring right. because they're still third in the league and third down conversion but those rate, numbers, but they're down I mean, from where they usually are. Yeah, or at least I mean, were last year. 7, 17, 19, 7, 15, 14, 17, 8. Yeah, you're not, I mean, not going to convert that. those. Enough. You're not going to convert, you know, out of those eight that I just read, you can convert, what, two, a third and seven, a third and eight, maybe? Yeah. yeah they didn't so get any of those. They didn't get any of them. Um, and their last six conversions, third and two, two, yeah. four, one, two, and one. Yeah. You got to stay in 
at least third and medium or less to give your offense a Penalties have been a problem. Yes. Incompletions on first down have been a problem. Run game's been a problem. And it manifests itself ultimately on the scoreboard. Yeah. Third down first, scoreboard second. And our third thing, Steve, is what has happened to Buffalo's pass rush. Last season, they were a middle-of-the-pack team in terms of sacks per play, and their pressure rate ranked high. They do still have a high pressure rate, ranking second in the league, 28.5%. But their sacks per play has now dropped to 26th in the league, and they're 28th in sacks. Now, Tom Brady is a quick-release quarterback, so is Tua Tonga-Vailoa. So you would say, okay, maybe they don't have sacks in that game. But that's three games out of their first 13, Steve. Realizing they weren't going to get any sacks against Mac Jones, who barely threw the ball, I get it. But knowing the investment this team made to improve their pass rush, why has it not materialized in each of their last three high draft choices at the position? A.J. Epinesa, Greg Rousseau, Boogie Bash. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think one of the things why none of these players like Epinesa, Rousseau, Basham, and, and for that matter, Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison and the rest, Ed Oliver, Starlo Tulele, I think one of the things that maybe, maybe they can tell you if you asked them, but the rotation that this Buffalo Bills culture has, has fostered and continued with throughout Sean McDermott's era um, keeps these guys fresh into the fourth quarter, no question about it. They're, but it also, it's hard for them to set up pass moves. It's hard for them to get into a rhythm and start to work one guy to get him in a position where they're going to beat him on a key down. Yeah. Uh, it's hard for them to you know, use technique and set a guy up to expect something from you that you're not going to get him and you get him on something else. Stuff like that, because of the rotation element of this, it's hard for these guys to get into a rhythm and rushing against the same guy in the same spot so that's down after down. So the rotation could actually be a detriment to the effectiveness of the pass rush of certain guys because they're right. not on the field. So much like you always hear the argument, well, you got to run the ball more if you want the run game to get into a rhythm. It might be the same for the pass rushers off the right. edge. Right. Need more time on the field to get in a rhythm and to set a <clears throat> off an offensive tackle up in such a way where – Oh man, this guy's come at me off the edge every single time, and then you hit him with a spin move, and you're in, and you think about it. The if these guys rush the passer, you can probably expect them to get a a sack on what <clears throat> one out of every at least one out of every 150 snaps, one every game and a half, maybe yeah. one every two games defensively. So you get eight sacks on the year, nine sacks on the year. Yeah. If they're not taking that many snaps because they're rotating in and out, that stretches that sack total out to one every three quarters of a game, every every two and a half games. Yeah. So you, you, if you run it strictly statistically like that, you can see it because it takes him that many reps to get the sack because he's not getting those reps. Yeah, and I and I think the defensive staff is recognizing the deficiency that is happening there because we saw in the Tampa Bay game in particular when there was a money down, you know, a big third down play. Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes were on the field almost every single time. It's as if they have lost an element of trust that these younger players can be effective in key passing down situations to get heat on the quarterback. 
And right. that's a troubling thing. When you are relying, and this is no knock on Jerry Hughes or Mario Addison, who have had very accomplished careers, but when you are relying solely on a 32- and a 34-year-old defensive end to generate the key pass pressure on key passing downs, I don't know if that gives me a great feeling going into the tail end of this regular season and potentially the playoffs. That is a problem, and I don't know how you fix it now because, as we've said, with other elements of this team, you kind of are what you are. And right. if the Bills can't get heat on quarterbacks, and we're not seeing a lot of batted passes either. Like, if, right. you, if you're not going to get there, get your hands up and knock a ball down. At least get an incompletion so it's second and ten or it's you know, you're off the field on third down. And we haven't even seen that to any great degree. And I think the, the evidence that the defensive staff is aware of these problems is they're blitzing Matt Milano more. We saw that last week against Tampa Bay. And I would anticipate you're going to see some more defensive back blitzes as well because I think it's apparent, it's readily apparent to this coaching staff and to people like us watching these games every week, they cannot get home often enough. They just can't. Right. And that's we've seen a trend in the league, particularly against Buffalo, in Buffalo games, quarterbacks who get the ball out fast. It's hard to get sacks under those conditions. Right. And I and there's no question it's an it's a little bit of a, a tip of the hat by these offenses toward the quality of the secondary. You got to get it out and get it get it gone uh, because you know if you hold on to it and the pressure does come, they're going to be covered up and you're going to take the sack and bad things are going to happen. So the 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 offenses that the Bills have faced, uh, aside from the things that you mentioned, teams that didn't have to throw the football very much. Uh, young quarterbacks who are inexperienced, all of that. This is a team that has seen a lot of quarterbacks in offenses that get rid of the ball right now. And it's hard to do. And yeah. I think may maybe some of it is mental between the years for these guys rushing the pass. The ball's always gone. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, it's an uphill battle here just to even have a quarterback who's got the ball when I get there, let alone get back there to, just, to harass him. Yeah, it's just very interesting to me because Sean McDermott's time in Carolina, his defenses were predicated on taking the ball away and ranking in the top five in sacks. And that really has not been the story here in Buffalo since he's been here as head coach. I think they had a couple of years where they were, you know, up in the top half of the league in sacks when he first got here. But since then, it has been a situation where the bills are in the bottom third of the league, looking up at the rest of the league when it comes to sacks. And I know it's not all about sacks. You want to get pressure and move people off the spot, but I have to believe that they are not happy with the production in that area. And they've made heavy investments and maybe you wait on these kids and maybe the next year it all clicks and they get it and they put it all together and it's not a problem anymore. But right now when you're in a go for it year, it's a little troubling to see the production is lacking. Yeah, right and, I'll, and I'll say this. I, I know what you're saying about Sean McDermott and, and the way his defense were in Carolina. This is Leslie Frazier's defense. Yeah. He calls it. Now, certainly Sean McDermott has his hands all over it, but Leslie Frazier, and I am and I think he earned this from McDermott, it has some autonomy there on game day to yeah. make the calls as he see fit, sees fit. Now, we saw a shot of Sean McDermott um, in the Tampa Bay game, I think, with Leslie Frazier going over the whiteboard and talking about what he sees as well. And so I think, you know, obviously there's some inner interchange there, but I think this is Leslie Frazier's defense. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, how much of a, a dual role and how many, how much Sean McDermott has to say about what yeah. actually goes on on that defense. We transition now to FanDuel's new free pick'em game, High Low, where you can pick teams 
You expect to score the highest or lowest in four different stat categories. Get all your picks correct, and you could win a million dollars. Just go to FanDuel.com. Go to the free game section to play FanDuel. Make every moment more. Steve and I are going to make our high-low picks. I'll start with high for points this week, and it's hard not to pick the Cardinals after their disappointing performance against the Rams. I know they don't have DeAndre Hopkins in the lineup. They're suddenly in a race for the top seed in the NFC. They're playing the Lions. So Cardinals high for points. My low for points is going to be the Carolina Panthers. Their offense is a mess. Cam Newton is limited, as we know. They pull him and put in P.J. Walker when he struggles. You're putting in P.J. Walker? They've got a new play caller after firing their offensive coordinator two weeks ago against Buffalo's defense. I can't see them having much success. Panthers low for points. All right, for me, I'm going to pick high for passing yards. I've got the Los Angeles Rams. Mm. I realize that they're down. Don't, don't they're down a few guys because of COVID and all the stuff that's going on. But they're playing Seattle. It's a division game. They know these guys really well. They are gonna they're gonna light it up. Matt Stafford and the Rams are gonna go high for passing yards. And for the low, it's Davis Mills and the Houston Texans. He's gonna be the starter. Tyrod Taylor has been relegated to backup duty. And they're playing the Jaguars. Now, the Jaguars, I, I hesitated for a minute on this. You're, yeah. It's crazy. But the Jaguars with an interim head coach, they're going to get a little boost. But I, and I, and I think they're going to get a boost. Okay. An emotional boost from the new start, new beginning. And I think they're going to come out. This may be a tough game for the Texans going against the Jaguars. All right. For high for rushing yards, I like the Eagles against Washington. I realize Jalen Hurts is still a question mark with his ankle sprain, so it might be Gardner Minshew again. But this is the number one rushing team in football with that committee of backs that they have. I think they're still going to roll up yardage, even though Washington has a top-five run defense. There might be a few distractions there in Washington with the latest Daniel Snyder report in the Washington Post this week. So I'm expecting a down performance for Washington, big performance by the Eagles. Low for rushing yards, I'm riding with the Falcons. They don't make running the ball a priority. As you know, Steve, they're facing a solid defensive front in San Francisco. I can't see Atlanta doing much on the ground, so Falcons low for rushing yards. All right, for me, high in sacks this week, I'm going to take the San Francisco 49ers. They're facing a pocket quarterback, an immobile Matt Ryan. The Bucks have sacked him five. The Bucks sacked him five times just a couple of weeks ago, uh, and San Francisco is going to have an even more success. I think they're, they're seventh in sacks per play this season. I like that matchup. And for low in sacks, I'm going to go with the Lions as well. Kyler Murray's hard for most NFL defenses to catch. And the Lions, you know, they're going to struggle to find him. I, they're going to be shocked at how fast that guy moves outside the pocket. Yeah, if, if you've never played him before, you can watch all the film you want. Once you're on the field with him, it's a whole different ball game. Yeah. Remember to make your free picks in FanDuel's high-low at FanDuel.com. Just scroll down to the free-to-play section and get picking. And that'll do it for us here on Bills by the Numbers. Be sure to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use so you know when the next episode's out. And as always, when you need to know about the Bills, you need to check Bills by the Numbers. For Steve Tasker, I'm Chris Brown. We'll catch you next week, everybody.